Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Shoes. Recorded live. Hey, welcome back to another edition of Cellar Dwellers. I'm Dave Nelson, the... Uh, the numbers guy. And the passionate one, the other guy. The other guy. Tog, as your friends call you. So did you did you actually hire someone to say talk shoe? Uh well we didn't hire him per se. We offered him some wine or beer or something like that and uh, and he did that. And, and, and I mean he made the little did music you have to work at that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, composing music is not a trivial matter. <laughs> that took a little bit of time. We are using TalkShoe for our TalkCast tonight, and the cool thing about it is, it is it's allowing us to record the show completely live and interact with callers. People can call in and talk to us. Not that they ever do, because we go against shows like American Idol, and we also don't really tell people when we're doing this. But if you're listening to this TalkCast, you should know that Probably by the time you hear it, assuming that's after Friday of this week, that would be what is Friday of that of this week. Hey, welcome, Adam. I see you've managed to join in. Adam, thanks, Dave. Yeah, Hi. welcome to our show. We're just getting it on the road here. Although we could talk for about half an hour before we really start the show, if if it's like any usual night. Do we ever really start a show? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we, we never really. Ending, though, yeah, we that's because we drink too much before we get to the end, and we always leave all these details hanging. But by the time you listen to this show, if you go to www.talkshoot.com and sign up for an account, you can actually find our show, Cellar Dwellers, find out when the next episode is, and there's a number for you to dial in, and you can talk to us, ask us questions. Or if you're the shy type, you can just text questions to us. Aha! Uh-huh. And that makes the show a lot of fun because... We sound smart because we're dealing with just these natural questions that are like technology. Can do. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I think you should mention uh, where we're um, actually casting from. Ah, here yes, we are casting from the vacant uh, at 9 p.m. at the night. World the world <laughs> Mostly secret world headquarters of Talkshoe Corporation. It is, uh, uh, you know, pretty much wide open in here at this hour. So we got the place to ourselves. We could have a little bowling match if we wanted to. By the way, Peter, also welcome to the show. We're pleased that you're here. Feel free to text questions or voice questions. And in fact, just so we don't pick up any background noise, I'm going to click on Peter and click on Adam. And you guys are muted, but if you want to ask a question in the text domain or in the voice domain, just click your request to talk button. We might notice it after 15 or 20 minutes and invite you to join in. Cool. All right. All right. So, so tonight... We're, we're in the home stretch of making wine at home. Are we getting close to drinking yet? Yeah, <laughs> drinking, drinking is next steps. show. But, of course, oh. that never really slows us down, does it? We drink pretty much every show. But next show is step 14. We're going to cover all the remaining steps, adjusting the final potassium metabisulfite and then the bottling and corking and all about bottles and corks. And we'll 
we'll probably run out of time before we get to labels. And, oh, you know, I hope we'll, not. We'll carry that over to the next show if that happens. I'm a little passionate about the labels, as you know. All right. Well, let's just knock one out right away, just to, to cross it off the list. And that is the final SO2 adjustment. <laughs> Who are you calling an SO2? <laughs> <laughs> Takes one to know one, I guess. Actually, we, we got, uh, this is my favorite thing that happened this last week. We got an email from a gentleman named Dude at SomeDude.net. I love it. Now, you never know where these things come from. So I wrote back to Mr. Dude, whose real name is Darren B., we won't say his last name on the air because I'm sure he'd have people flocking to his house. As he had, admits in this, he's a, uh, a home winemaker. But he lives in Australia. And he had the following question. He bought a winemaking kit. And this question is just very germane to, to the topic of adjust, adjusting potassium metabisulfite. He wanted to know, his kit came with sodium metabisulfite, uh, not ah. potassium metabisulfite. And remember, it is slightly less expensive. It's a cheaper imposter, that's right. And, and so he had listened to one of our earlier podcasts, and he got the idea that maybe you don't want to add sodium metabisulfite because it can add sort of a salty taste to your wine. Sure. But his question is, can I use the sodium metabisulfite for my sterilizing activities, like washing my hands, washing my equipment, washing my bottles, that's a brilliant idea. That's a perfect use for sodium metabisulfite. Now, let me ask you something. Do you know the difference in cost relative to potassium metabisulfite? <laughs> I mean, is there, is there really well, that much difference? It's hard to believe. Yeah, I remember that for like an eight-ounce bag, it was about a nickel difference between you oh, know, one wow. bag and the other. So, frankly, if you're going out to buy, just buy the potassium metabisulfite unless you're really you know, squeeze for change. I think that if you happen to get some sodium metabisulfite, though, use it for the sterilizing. Right. right. I mean, you wouldn't throw it away because it's perfectly good for sterilizing. Sure. And but you don't want to add it to your wine to bring the, 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 the levels up to where you want them to be. That's just my personal preference. I don't want that hint of salt in my wine. Maybe oh. you couldn't even taste it. I wonder if commercial wines use strictly potassium as opposed to sodium. Boy, we're going to have to... We'll have to, we'll have to investigate that. We were wondering if we'd have any content for future shows once we got through the 14 steps. Oh, we'll talk about something. <laughs> I'm sure we will. We've got yeast farming, and now we've got whether commercial wineries use the cheap stuff or the expensive stuff. So there's tons of content. Anyway, Darren, we love your question. Thank you for writing in. Uh, thank you for writing in from Australia. See, if we were doing an edited show here, we could cut out all my little verbal stumbles. I sounded so much better when we had the digital editing software, didn't oh, I? Well, I like when we cut you out. <laughs> you are vicious. Now, back to adjusting potassium metabisulfite and, and you know, your final sulfite levels. What, what you're doing here, remember when you started, you brought your must, back before we even started fermentation, to fi about 50 parts per million of potassium metabisulfite. You're going to open that bottle, but wait, 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 before you open that bottle, I brought in, we're just going off topic, which is pretty much our, our way with this show, but I brought in this, trademark. this bottle, which is from Lake Sonoma Winery. I actually like this label because of all sort of the, the golds and... It's a cool label. It's a cool label, but it has a silver medal hanging over it from an 
amateur winemaking competition that was run here in the Pittsburgh region. This was from all over the region. People drove in probably from as far away as Youngstown, Ohio, and Erie, PA, and who knows, Harrisburg. But we put in our Cabernet Sauvignon into the, uh, the, the Vinifera Red category, which would be Cabernet and uh, Zinfandels and, and Merlots and so on, and we won this silver medal for our Cabernet. So I when say it was, that... When it was only four months four old, months old. Now it's a, another year older than that, but I say that just as a way to uh, show that we actually aren't just talking out our wazoos here. We, we have produced some pretty good wine. We're not talking just a good shoe. We are producing a good <laughs> We are producing shoe. a good wine. That's right. All right, so a little off track. Go ahead and open this. We just didn't oh, want to get the red wine on our precious medal here. We, we've won a couple of medals, so very, very exciting. We're adjusting the potassium metabisulfite. We started at 50 parts per million, but now it is six, eight, ten months afterwards. We've moved this wine around a bit. It's gotten splashed. A little oxygen sort of combines with the so, potassium so metabisulfite. So you need to recheck the level. Yeah, you do need do to recheck the level. And so get your titrets back out. You're going to find that your 50 parts per million has fallen to 30 or 20 or, or maybe even lower. And you want to bring it back up to somewhere in the 35 to 40 range, depending on how long you intend to keep the wine. If you're going to drink it right away, well, maybe you don't even need to. Don't even bother, probably. Right. If your wine is uh, particularly acidic, well, that's likely to last uh, for a longer period of time. But if you're going to keep a wine for a while, make that final adjustment. And this is a boring topic, so enough said about that. I say we move on. Get your potassium metabisulfite right before you start bottling. Let's start talking about the fun stuff. Actually, let's talk about the wine. Let's so talk about the wine. What, uh, what did we get here tonight? Well, I have to tell you, I've, I've blown my modus operandi right out the back door here. Yeah. Why, you might ask? <laughs> Thank you for asking. Well, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, did you drop away down from a $12 well, bottle no, here at $6 I, this time? I blew my budget the other way by 6 bucks and went to $18. $18. And this was a wine that I had tasted at a uh, wine tasting and dinner one evening that's uh, imported, and I was... Um, uh, wanted to share this with you tonight. It is from Italy. It is actually from Sicily, believe it or not. Okay. And it is made from 100% Nero Diavola grapes. Never heard of those. They are unique to Sicily. And just kind of going back over some of our previous steps, picking is done by hand, and the wine undergoes a long process of maceration at controlled temperatures before aging in small oak barrels, imparting... More or less oak flavor, David? Oh, more oak if you're in small Absolutely. barrels. Absolutely, and this is quite uh, quite a tasty wine. It was so good, we bought a case at the dinner. And I just wanted to compare, since we're going to be talking about corks. Oh, I see a telltale sign on your cork. Yes, and this bottle has probably been in my cellar for about three years. What uh, was the original vintage? 2002. 2002. And you can see what's happening on the cork. If, right. you've ever, if the listeners have ever pulled a cork and saw a small granulation on the, the wet side, the wine side of it, what is that, David? 
Well, that, that could be acid crystallizing. That's yeah, the most likely. That's what you hope it is. <laughs> if it's something if else. They're moving around <laughs> in front of your eyes. Watch you out. Might, you might want to feed it to your less uh, friendly neighbors. <laughs> Which explains why I always get your $6 bottles of wine. <laughs> I'm going to take a much closer look at the corks that you bring from now on. This cork... Uh, is the cork that came out of the Lake Sonoma, which, by the way, was a similar price, although I must say I haven't tasted it yet, but I think it's going to be a much better wine because it's a Zinfandel that is 14.9% alcohol by volume, whereas yours, yours We're is 13.5. 13.5. So okay, that's not too bad. Not too bad. But this cork from the um, one-year newer wine, actually, that that's either an incredibly high-quality cork. It looks like it is. Yeah, it really is. It's nice and tight and smooth. We're going to talk about corks as we get into it, but I don't really like the quality of your cork, and I'll explain why when we get to that part of the show. Let's save those corks. They'll okay, be an important so prop as we go in. Before I forget, though, yeah? when we get to corks, remind me, you didn't, let, you didn't permit me to get to all of my peeves in the last wine cast. But one of the things I have, I have a couple that I want to share with you. When we get to well, corks, I'll, I'll do that. We, do we need to wait till corks? Because I did listen to our last wine cast, and you said you had two peeves, and then there was a third one that came to mind, and then there was a fourth one. We never got past your first one, which was whether it's Syrah or Shiraz. Oh and, God, I'm so glad you're going to let me get to my peeves right so, away. <laughs> you know what? Because I, I just don't want to hear this for several more shows. So the let floor me, is yours, other guy. Tell us your other peeve. Let me get to, just to this peeve right here. And it has to do with corks, because we're going to be talking about bottling and corking tonight. Have you ever been to a restaurant where they open a bottle of wine, and typically the waiter or waitresses don't really know much about wine or how to present it, but they read somewhere or saw in a movie or something that you pull the cork and you set it in front of the person that ordered the bottle of wine. Well... These folks today are setting the imitation cork down in front of me. Now, that's because they don't know why they were setting the cork there in the first place, do they? That's right. There's a reason for it, there and I'll let you explain it in a minute. There is a reason. But my 10-year-old son, the brilliant lad that he is, found out that imitation corks make incredible erasers. Mm. <laughs> so, they set it in front of me. I look at it, and then if it's a cheap... Uh, paper menu, I'll erase something <laughs> off of the menu <laughs> and say, pour away, looks good to me. <laughs> uh, I bet those waiters or waitresses are just mortified. Now, the reason that they give you the cork is not to smell it, although I think that's a common misconception, it right? It is a misconception. People like right. to sniff the cork and all that, and there's precious little you're going to tell by sniffing the cork. And you're going to taste a little bit of the wine anyway, so what the heck, why not go straight to the wine instead of the cork? All you're looking for is the integrity of the cork. That's right. And having had a couple of corks that failed, what, what to look for? This cork, notice this cork that you've pulled out of your O2. You don't like my cork? No, I do like it. I'm going to talk later ah, about what I don't okay. like about it, but look at its performance. If you look at the part that's sort of purple at the bottom, it's maybe soaked in a quarter of an inch. You don't have any, like, that's it, right? veins. No veins. You're the metric down. guy tonight. You don't have these veins of red running down the cork, which means this bottle was well sealed, and therefore it's very likely to be 
A so good quality wine, not oxidized or otherwise ruined. Right, and that's been in my cellar for three years, so that's that's a good sign. Yeah, so even though your cork doesn't look so high quality, uh, you know, from uh, first impressions, it actually has performed quite well. Now, interestingly enough, we look at my cork, and it's not even uh, penetrated. Do I have to look at your cork? <laughs> now, remember, this is an A-rated family show, despite the fact that it's about two guys getting drunk doing a podcast. My cork has not even one millimeter of absorption down the, down the bottom. So I, I think you can tell that's another sign, although there are several other signs, that this is a higher quality cork than uh, what's in your Italian wine. The, uh, the Sonomans are outdoing the Italians. And we'll have to do a, a future podcast on that, that controversy over caps and corks. I think we could spend a whole show on we could spend a caps show on and corks, and we could. we could taste a bunch of wines that were either capped or corked and get corked, couldn't we? We could, we could get capped or corked. Now, while we're talking about wine, I forget what topic we were on, but I brought, just as a special treat, my top ten wine flavors. Okay, Peter says we should do a blind test to see if we can tell if it's capped or corked. Uh, Peter, I love that suggestion. I, I do, and I would like to bring some of our French comrades in on that because I happen to be a Cap fan. I'll, uh, there, it's out. I said it. <laughs> that was the, the other guy talking. Can hear it. Not Dave talking. That was the other guy. I like the blind. You know, the only problem with that, Peter, is Caps haven't been around long enough to really test their ability to keep a, a wine in good condition for multiple years, right? I mean, they've really, finer wines have only just started in, the, what, the past two or three years. That's true. And, you know, I'm not going to reveal my position on caps versus quirks. It, it's, you're just going to have to wait till some future yeah, you're podcast. A quirky, you're a quirky kind of guy. All right. So my top ten wine flavors. And, and by the way, this is from the Wine Flavor and Aroma Wheel. Do you remember There's, this wheel? I, I'm getting dizzy looking at the wheel. You're spinning it around. There are that many flavors in wine? Yes, believe it or not. Some people say there are 200 separate flavors that you can taste in wine. Now, there's obvious ones. Reading from the wheel, you know, things like blackberry or cherry or pineapple, raisin, green olive, tobacco, walnut, honey, butter, molasses, oak. These are all things that you might taste in wine, and I'm not even partway around the wheel, but let me tell you some of my favorites. These are my top 27 favorite flavors in wine. Do we from need the, a drum roll? <laughs> please. From the, official, from the official list of flavors, and I'm, I didn't bother to rank these. I'm just going to read them off read some them of the, the, the favorites. Do it. Fishy, soapy, lazy. I guess that's where you've left it on the lees too long or, or whatever. You know, it's sort of that yeasty flavor. That my wife calls me lazy. Lazy, I bet she does. Especially after you've downed a couple of bottles of wine on a Sunday afternoon. Hey, you lazy, lazy bum. <laughs> uh, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. I swear, this is, by the way, from Ann Noble, UC Davis, 1995. She built this. Flavor it's a wheel. great idea. It actually. is because it's people. Way to look at it's it. a good. You know, she's categorized them. We should probably say a little bit more about this. She's categorized them into the major categories, like 
fruity, spicy, floral, chemical, earthy. Mm-hmm. And then she subcategorizes, for example, uh, let's take fruity into citrus, berry, tree fruit, tropical fruit, dried fruit, and other fruit, and then takes each of those, for example, tree That's fruit good. into cool. cherry, apricot, peach, apple. So this is a, this is a, a pretty cool thing, and, and it will help you perhaps recognize what you're tasting when you taste a wine. Reminds you of the possible flavors and maybe helps you pull them out. Now, that's one of the fun things about drinking wine. Oh, it really is. And, and, and if you have ever tasted wine with someone who can truly taste these flavors and they point them out to you as you're drinking, you really do start to taste them. But, <laughs> so I'm but looking at my list. <laughs> Drinking here. Is, uh, is paper and, cup on there anywhere? That yes, we're drinking actually, we are drinking from paper cups because we walked into Talk Shoe here without our wine glasses. So we've we've gone all the way to paper cups and. Uh, and frankly, I got an eighteen dollar <laughs> bottle of wine. I, you know, I want to do a blind tasting someday. We'll pour wine into a paper cup and a maybe a glass cup. Leave it sit for half an hour and then consolidate them both into glass so you're not you know, able to tell by what you're holding, and see if you can really tell the difference of what sat in glass versus paper. Yeah, but I, I think there's a tactile part of... Oh, when you're actually it. drinking, yeah. <laughs> but no, but that, that enhances it by holding an expensive glass. Other than that, I, I, agree. Don't, believe, I don't believe it does anything. I love to look, you know, swirl it and look at the legs, the alcohol-water right. interface, and there's something about a nice Riedel glass that is spectacular. Maybe Peter can come up with a test for us on, All right. on, the, on the glasses and cups. I liked his uh, blind taste. Yeah, it's a good suggestion on the caps there. Peter, so uh, let us know if you come up with that. What's your other favorite flavors here? Okay, these are are just to go to where you are coming from. There is the flavor of wet cardboard and filter pad. And (laughs) (laughs) filter pad. Filter (laughs) pad. This is from the official wine flavor uh, uh, classification wheel. And I swear I have had wine that reminded me of filter pad. If you think of what um, wet, soggy paper or cardboard might taste or smell like, that's, that's the flavor of filter pad, which, by the way, rates far better than wet wool and wet dog. <laughs> You've got to start buying better paper cups. Cabbage. your wine from? Skunk. Garlic. Skunk, I can believe. Burnt match. Burnt match, I can believe. Rubbery. Diesel. Mm. Plastic. Tar. Those are the petroleum flavors. Mm-hmm. We've got moldy. And musty. I guess yeah. mold and must are different kinds of flavors. Dusty. Is this your top ten or top ten thousand? What, <laughs> what are you going actually, through here? I couldn't narrow it down from the twenty-eight favorite ones that I had. Um, but I they, this guy, who, what was this person's name? This she is Anne Noble. Green. Yeah, to figure and out all the flavors. Wonderful right? job, and to put it on that wheel, it's a great visual. Yeah, I like this. You know, again, some of the good flavors are coffee, smoky, cedar, oak, vanilla, molasses, chocolate. But I like. Back to my list, soy sauce, hay or straw. That one, I believe. Artichoke. Have you ever had a wine that tasted like artichoke? Eucalyptus? No, but I've had some hay that tasted like artichoke. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually had artichokes that taste more like hay, unless you dip them in a lot of butter. Stemmy, green-cut grass. Oh, yeah, that I believe. Geranium. I've, I've chewed on a few geraniums. And I think I already covered Mousy and Horsey. I'm back around the wheel again. There you go. This, though, if you really want to develop your palate, I think this is an invaluable resource. 
And this comes out of the book that is at the UC Davis website. We've, we've put the pointer on our website. People can find it there, and they can grab this beautiful... Do you have a link to the... Yes, uh, we have a link to this beautiful. on our website. So go find it there. You know, you, you Those are my people are clever. I'll tell you what. 28 flavors of wine. Okay, so we've adjusted the potassium metabisulfite. Sorry, tonight we gave that sort of, you know, the, the, the quick once over, but we did that when we were doing the must. It's the same process. So if you didn't quite get it tonight, go back and listen to show number two when we were adjusting the potassium metabisulfite in the must. Now we come to bottling. Bottling. And I have some props. You have props on a radio show? I have props on a radio show. <laughs> By the way, you have the perfect face for radio. I've got to tell you. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, Peter clearly likes our wet dog flavor. <laughs> you know, maybe we can name one of our wines. You know, the cool thing about making your own wine is you can label it what you want. Name it what you want. Wet Dog Cabernet. There you go. I think that's a catchy name. They've got such wacky names anyway. Now, we're talking about, we're, we're to the point where we're going to bottle, right? Our wine is done fermenting. It's been in oak for, you know, long enough that it tastes nice and oaky. In your barrels or in your carboys and glass, however you've done it, right? Remember to overshoot a little bit, maybe a little bit oakier than you want, because that's still going to integrate and get more mellow. Right, which is a mistake we made in our first, our 03 Zin. We, we bought a little too early on the oak. Yeah, exactly. But that, you know, we did but find... But we caught some of the 72 Dodge Swinger exhaust pipes. Yeah, we sure did. I did uh, not see on that wheel. That wasn't on the wheel. <laughs> We're going to have to write to Ann and let her know she left one off. Exhaust pipe. By the way, Peter says that the sherry he's sipping is really helping with our humor. So we want to pass that tip on to all of our listeners. Make sure you're well into the sherry or the, <laughs> the, big, bottle. the big bottle before you and listen to this show. <laughs> Okay, so we're trying to get to bottling here. Uh, we, we've we've done all the oak. We've got the you know it's all we've racked from the leaves. Remember those all those earlier steps. In all fact, we should post our 14 steps with a little copyright, maybe on our website, so that you know people can remember what they were. Because by now, we've that's so many shows ago, and I'm sure our listeners have been drinking so so much they remember very little they of what we talked right about. To step 14. All right, so now we're at bottling. And I've got my two pieces of equipment that are the most relevant to bottling. One is among my favorite pieces of equipment, and one is my least favorite. It's, it's a, really a son of a bitch to deal with. I mean, it works perfectly for what it works for, but I hate this step. Well, you're talking about cleaning bottles. I am talking about cleaning bottles. But there's two ways to go. There are. When, and when, when acquiring bottles. We've done it the laborious way of friends, neighbors, relatives giving us bottles from their from wine that they've just purchased, right? Commercial bottles. Or you can and then cleaning them, delabeling them, which by the way, there's two types of glues we found. <laughs> oh man. Just, there is a there's an organic type and an inorganic type and I've got to tell you the one floats off the bottle in a matter of seconds and the other one you need a jackhammer to get them off. I want to put a call out to our listeners. Somebody could do the winemakers of the world a great the, the the home winemakers of the world who are using recycled bottles a great service by publishing a website of those wineries those labels that are water soluble <laughs> and those that are not 
frankly, <laughs> I do that research. <laughs> you work through, you know, one of everything. What a great job! <laughs> ah, well, that one didn't come off too easy. Give me another bottle. Can't remember if that one was water soluble. That would be such a great service. And here's a thought. I just want to put this out to the commercial wine winemakers of the world. I believe that those who make wine with water-soluble labels would see their sales increase. Because those of us in the winemaking aftermarket, as it were, for bottles, would buy more of the water-soluble labels. I agree. Plus, the tree huggers would like it because you've got, you've got to figure if you can remove labels and recycle the bottle that much easier, right? If you're, not, if you're even going to, if you're going to recycle bottles, the glass, as opposed to reusing it for wine, it still makes more sense to use a water-soluble label. Absolutely. Maybe it's, maybe it's more expensive. Maybe the, the organic, no. I'm the I've got a theory on this one, right? You yeah. know, I've got a theory well, on everything. You do we have to hear your top ten theories? On no, just, just one theory. Oh, thank Here's God. Here's my theory. I think the winemakers have gone to bottles or, or glues that are not water soluble because they don't want their bottle wet. Maybe it's sitting on ice. Maybe this whole thing started with the white wines and. You pull the bottle out, and the labels come off because it's water-soluble. And now you forget what you're drinking. See, so I think it started with the whites, then it spread like wildfire to the reds, and we've got, I don't know, my experience is about a third of the labels out there are made with these non-water-soluble glues, and it's a major pain in the keister. And who do you think came up with this? A king in Spain in the 1100s? <laughs> Just to keep us home winemakers down. Theories always go back to some king in Spain. <laughs> 700 years ago. Oh, man. Which, by the way, I want, I'll make one quick note here. One yes. quick reference. We're still looking for, for French sponsors, and this is going to be the only one of the rare <laughs> nice things we're going to say about them. Wait, I'm going to have to go edit this out if you're going to say something nice about the French people. <laughs> they, I have found that many of my French red bottles of wine... The labels are water-soluble, and they come off quite easily. Ah. So I thank you, Frenchies, for that. Okay, so I'm going to... There it is. I, I throw I'm out the pitch there for our sponsor. Give you that one. The French have done one good thing for the world of wine. That's correct. They've stuck with good old-fashioned tradition, the water-soluble labels. They have. The so rest you, of the winemakers are trying to sabotage those of us who are making our own wines, because it is a lot of work. A lot of work yeah, to get yeah, these. Have we complained about this long enough? Yes. Because there is another option, though. You can purchase bottles. Well, that's where I think we're going to go. Okay, so we've been doing this. Let, let's just point out, bottles are not cheap. They can run a dollar to two dollars. I mean, that's it, it can be pretty substantial. By the way, welcome back, Mr. Adam. We saw you disappear for a while, and now you're back. And In fact, you're even on the air with us. Hello. Adam. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 dropped with the phone. I, I dropped the phone while I was uh, pouring a glass of wine. So. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's I'm so good. glad to hear that. Pete, while you were gone, Peter suggested a new slogan for our show, and I think we're going to finish with it from now on. I was interviewing a professional talk show host this week, Elizabeth Day, who used to have uh, national coverage Friday and Saturday night, six hours, the overnight show on KDKA, 50,000 watts going all over the country. And one of the things she said is you've got to have a regular opening and a regular closing. And we put music on for open and close, but 
other than saying, hey, welcome to Cellar Dwellers, we didn't really ever have a regular opening and a regular closing. And Peter has suggested a great closing for us. And that is, we're better when you're drunk. I think that that pretty much sums up what makes our show good. <laughs> Wait, who's better? They're better when you and I are drunk, or we're better when they're drunk? I think everybody's pretty much better <laughs> off when they're drinking. Well, <laughs> what do you say, Adam? Keep down in that red wine. I like opening the show by opening a bottle of wine. Yeah, Adam says he'll drink to that. All right. He'll drink to that. Well, I did use the word sabotage, and you just sort of let that one go. You didn't ask about the origin or anything, so I'm just going to have to sort of bring it up myself. No, 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 no. Hold your oh, phone here. okay, yes. Jackson, that is not an idiom. That's just, that's just a term. That's just a word. Sabotage. Oh, I see. So it's illegal for us you to talk about... I don't want you to explain what that word means. If it's not an idiom, let's move on. <laughs> you have totally sabotaged that part of my script. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Listeners, you, I, I had a I very interesting other, story about... I hope there are other theories on that paper you're throwing away, <laughs> too, that you're going to talk about tonight. You have totally sabotaged. Sabotage is gone. I've sabotaged the whole deal. Yeah. But I've, getting back to bottles, where we were headed, there is a huge difference between the bottles that you purchase and the bottles that you get, even in relatively inexpensive wines. I mean, the ones that you purchase don't compare. They, they're, they're wavy. The, the thickness of them is inconsistent. The color's inconsistent. They are not at the same quality. You know, I noticed that, in general, it seems like better quality wines come with nicer quality bottles, heavier bottles, thicker glass, uh, a more substantial, you know, I hadn't really noticed this before. In fact, just a theory, we've got to back up for a second. Did you know that there are two kinds of bottles, two kinds of wine bottles, and I'm even illustrating right here on the desktop for all of our listeners I've in Radio got Land. I've got the two types, all one's right. empty and one's full. <laughs> Give me the full one and let's move on. <laughs> Well, that is true. You pretty much nailed that did one. Did I get it right? Yeah, okay. Or did I sabotage your theory? Yeah, you're totally blowing it. We're going to have to rehearse these shows from now on. No, the two types of bottles, you, well, it is true. There are full bottles and there are empty bottles. And the full bottles that are, are open are much more desirable. Stay away from the empty bottles. But there are actually two different shapes of bottles. There's also different colors, and we can talk about the colors of bottles, but fundamentally there are two shapes of bottles. Two main shapes. There is this shape, which is called the classic Bordeaux shape. And it is typically used for red wines, and the distinguishing characteristic is it's almost from the bottom to nearly the top, just a a, a, a regular cool. cylinder. Right. And then it has the shoulders, as they're called, and then the spout, or whatever you call the top part of the bottle. Stem, we call it down at the lab. (laughs) All right, Mr. Stem Boy. Okay. (laughs) Why is it that they put these shoulders in here, and why is it that it is typically red wines that are in these Bordeaux-style bottles? I don't know, but sure in heck you got a theory there. (laughs) I have a theory. Here is my theory. Red wines, as you demonstrated with your cork when we got started, tend to have more sediment in them. I'm not sure exactly why. Well, of course, red wines stay on the skin for a long time, so there's more stuff in them, and then that precipitates out even after bottling, especially if you don't filter, which they didn't use to filter at all, which is where this tradition came from. Well, a lot of fine wines aren't filtered. It will say unfiltered. Right, our wines aren't. Only racking. 
Yeah, we don't filter our wine. Ours aren't. Ours are three hundred dollars a bottle. <laughs> it does seem like that, doesn't it? When you factor in our labor costs. In any case, the whole point of the shoulder is when you pour it like this. Where's my glass? This goes into the DN glass. When you pour it like this, the sediment gets stuck in, in that, that shoulder. shoulder. Unless, of course, you tip it all the way up on end, which is the one thing you shouldn't do. When you're pouring wine, if you really know what you're doing, or if the waiter at your restaurant really knows what he or she is doing, they don't pour out that last half an ounce because they let it sit there in that shoulder with the sediment that's in your red wine. Now, I'm going to blow your theory all to heck and back. All right, blow away. If you would Listeners, observe. listeners, listeners, can you believe the trouble I'm the kidding. other guy is giving me tonight? Yes. You started getting ornery last show... I was a little worried. You wasn't specifically I? objected to a few things I said, and now you're just you're just going right at it. Now I'm bold. I'm in blow the theory out of the water. Let's look at Rhone wines from France <laughs> that go back hundreds of years. Look at the shape of that bottle. Red wines, no shoulder. Let's look at Spanish reds, such as the one that you presented here this evening. Well, I brought it. Because, Red wine. Yes, you're getting no to an interesting counterexample. Shiraz, Shiraz, you name it. Pinot Noirs tend to have no shoulder. Pinot Noirs, Burgundies, typically. Well, okay, okay, you're getting no to a key point. Shoulders. This is actually called a Burgundy bottle. Aha. It is called a Burgundy bottle. And what's different about this is it's a cylinder only for maybe the bottom third instead of almost three-quarters of the bottle. And then it just very gracefully curves Oh, you are good tonight. To the neck. <laughs> oh, man. I think I'm just going to turn this talk cast over to you. The passionate one is on. Tapers to the neck. That is correct, sir. I like that. Okay, so this is the, the one that tapers to the neck is often called a burgundy-style bottle and is most typically used for white wine. So if there were just any rule of thumb, and there is no hard uh, and fast rule here, but rule of thumb... The Bordeaux shoulder is red. The Burgundy taper is white. But why do you think my theory is wrong, then? Because Burgundies, other than white Burgundies, of course, are red wines. Rhone region wines are red wines. Chateauneuf-du-Pape, Côtes de Rhone, Ijegal, Syrah, Shiraz, Pinot Noirs, they're all red wines. Tapered, tapered, tapered. So why are some bottles shouldered and others tapered then? Well, I don't know. <laughs> You're challenging my theory, which makes perfect sense. It has to do with a sediment of red wine. I'm challenging it because traditionally so many red wines have come in tapered bottles and not shoulders. So your theory seems to not hold water nor red wine. All right, now I'm going straight to personal experience here. When we put our homemade red wine in a bottle with a shoulder. You can pour it and not pour that last half ounce, and you don't end up with a glass that's full of ugly sediment. Whereas if you put it in this bottle, the traditional burgundy bottle with no shoulder, there's no good way to pour it without getting the darn sediment in the glass. So I'm telling you... you, You're insulting all the people from Burgundy and, and the Rhone region of France and the Syrah makers of California but for putting the red wines in tapered bottles? I pretty much am. Okay, well, I'll buy that. <laughs> hey, if it insults the French, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> I, have another, right. I have a question that's actually interesting. Your last seven minutes on the tapered oh, thing man. was a little off. 
I have to ask. I'm going to ask Peter. I've got to start editing these shows. Peter seems like the only intelligent guy involved with this to this point. Why are the bottoms, the bottom of wine bottles, bubbled up? Why is it bubble up about, what is it? It goes up like an inch, an inch and a half in the very bottom, and then it slopes down to the perimeter of the bottom of the bottle. And I bet a lot of people have never noticed that, by the way. Oh, they have noticed that. I will tell you. You can put your thumb up in there. And and there's all sorts of theories. I'm sure you have 27 of them. But if there's anybody out there that really knows why, I don't know that anybody knows why, but I'd be interested to, to hear. We'll research that. I will make two points. One is that a lot of cheap bottles do not have that indentation in the bottom. And I think it's because that uses more That's glass, true. and so if you really want to cut down on the cost and minimize the cost of a bottle, I'm with you on that. no indentation. But watch this. And the fact that I'm pouring over my glass is purely for demonstration purposes. But I can take this bottle, one hand, I've got the Dry Creek Valley Zinfandel, 14.9% alcohol, and I'm holding it in one hand, three fingers below it, and the thumb on the bottom in, the, in indentation. the indentation. And you can pour with and one I hand. And I can pour with one hand, very easy, a lot of control, no drip, no fuss, no muss. You can rotate so it doesn't even drip off. I think it has something to do with that. That's my theory. It's not a bad theory, but I'm going to bet you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. so uh, a little quiz for our listeners. And by the way, I brought the origin of the word quiz, but since it's not an idiom... It's not an idiom. The fact that it came from idiomsite.com, I guess there's another one. We will never know... Let me hear that again. I love that <laughs> We will never know where the word quiz came from. Another part of the show hits the ground. This isn't a vocabulary exam. It's an idiom class. <laughs> Apparently. Now, I decided to do a little bit of research on bottles, although, you know, maybe we should finish the point about used versus new. You know, if you're making wine at home and you're trying to keep the cost down, it's great to be able to use recycled bottles. And the strategies, I think, that we both found that were effective, th- there were two that worked really well. One is, I told a lot of my friends, hey, bring me a dozen bottles empty and I'll give you one back full. And that worked. I got everybody I know bringing me bottles. That's a great idea. The other thing that worked very well was I stopped by a couple of local restaurants, uh, both um, Stone Mansion, which is here. and North Hills, a nice restaurant in North Hills of Pittsburgh. And Atria's, which is just over the hill from us here. And I told the bartenders that I was looking for red wine bottles. And by the way, they collected a lot of these shoulder bottles for me. Not many of these tapered bottles. So red wine seemed to mean to them shouldered. Just pointing out what, you know, a little bit of a random trivia here. I got... Cheap restaurants will have <laughs> I'm not arguing that point. Hey, both of these restaurants are among the nicest restaurants they in are. the they North are. Hills. No in fact, insult to them. I like both. I will say Stone Mansion in particular has been on Wine Spectator's list for yeah. having this That's an spectacular wine cellar. I agree. That's where a lot of our wine bottles came from. You just tell the, wine, the, the the bartender there that you are looking for wine bottles, and they will collect them for you. And believe me, a weekend of collecting at the Stone Mansion, and they've got like a couple hundred bottles for you. Sure. But a couple of things to ask your friends if you're going to have them collect bottles for you. Mm. Have them rinse it out immediately after you, consuming the wine. Don't have that those molds. big. Oh, I'm with you. That is big. 
I'm with you. That makes it so much easier. Otherwise, you really have to soak the bottles for a long time, and you get all this mold that floats out from the bottom. I mean, wine left untended will mold in a week, no problem. Are we going to cover uh, cleaning and sterilizing the bottles? Yes, that's why I brought the piece of equipment that I hate uh-huh. so much. Uh-huh. But here's where I'm coming out on it. We have, for three years, we're now approaching, what, cumulatively a couple thousand bottles of wine, and we've been doing this with uh, recycled bottles, which means that we're soaking them and delabeling them and cleaning them. A lot them. of labor, a lot of work. I'm at the point where I'm ready to break down and start spending a dollar or two dollars, which is what they're going to cost for, for new bottles, but they're already delabeled, pre-cleaned, and I mean, you still have to sterilize them, granted, so it's not like you're removing all the work. Correct. But, but I'm the ready worst to part pay. is relabeling, for I, sure. I am so sick of taking labels off bottles. I suppose you could make your wine without delabeling the bottles, but that sort of messes up the whole process. Well, it does, especially because I'm passionate about labels, so I, I wouldn't go for that. But by the way, I have to interrupt here. You can purchase a case of new bottles, 12 bottles, for around 8 or $9 in the Strip District of Pittsburgh. And if you need that info where to get those, email us. I'll get you that, I'll get you that location. And I, you, have, I have that from other home winemakers in the area. You knew that just off the cuff. I knew that off the cuff. Unbelievable. Well, yes, off the cuff. Off the cuff. Off the cuff. Now there's an idiot. <laughs> so quiz crashes and burns. Right. But off the cuff qualifies. That is in, baby. Oh, man, your rules are unbelievable. Lay it on me, cuff baby. <laughs> All right, off the cuff. Now, I will say that... That what it means is, you know, sort of spontaneously knowing something, a spontaneous statement or a retrieval of an odd fact. Just well, performing. You can perform something off, off the cuff. The cuff. Right. Exactly. Now, it, it is stated that we don't know for sure where the origin of this idiom comes <laughs> We never know for sure any idiom. <laughs> All I know for sure is we've got a couple of nice red wines here in the room with us. The English pub keepers had an accounting system. Doesn't all this stuff start in England? I, guess. <laughs> I made that comment a few podcasts back. Bartenders of the era. Now, this is a couple of centuries back. Going into, it says, the early 1930s, they kept track of patrons' tabs by markings made on their starched cuffs on their shirts. Of course, you know, back in those days, the cuffs were pretty darn large, and they were almost like paper. They were so crispy and firm. They marked on their cuffs a patron's tab, and so when somebody said, barkeep, what's my tab, a quick glance at their cuff, and they'd have the answer, off the cuff. Is that cool or what? You know, this is one of the few idioms I might actually buy this one. I I think I'm buying this one. I'm in on the off the cuff. All right. If anyone can dispute this, Contact us, but I'm in on the off-the-cuff thing. Wasn't Anne the one who shot down my whole theory on the whole nine yards? Oh, she Anne. blew it out the back door, buddy. <laughs> if you're out there listening, double-check me on this one. Let now me the, know if we're right. The good news is, with all the wine we're having tonight, I don't have any cups, so I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, you are very lucky. Now, I think we both showed up with comparably priced bottles, which I believe is a first. <laughs> <laughs> First time I it happened. I broke my $12 barrier. Oh, man. 
So I'm we just... were talking about bottles, new bottles versus commercial-grade bottles that have been cleaned. And what tips do you have for us, Numbers Guy, in terms of ease of cleaning? We have a device here for rinsing, I can see, that attaches to a, an ordinary laundry tub faucet. Correct. You are correct. So here's the process. And I'm just going to keep this short because it's boring as all hell. And in fact... You mean people don't want to tune in and listen about how to wash bottles? Apparently not. And let me even give you a rule of thumb. I've found that on average you can clean beginning to end about 12 to 15 bottles an hour between you've got to put them in a tub, fill them up so that the inside is soaking and you're getting any molds at least you know, mobile. The outside soaks, you get the label off, you might have to take a razor scraper to it, maybe even some solvent to it. You're going to need a sponge to scrape even the water-soluble glue off. Then, so wait, you're telling me you're working for 8 or $10 an hour here. That's, what it's coming down to. That's exactly right. It doesn't seem and, worth it, does it? No, that's why I'm coming to the conclusion that we should just go out and buy bottles, especially if you're right that we can buy a dozen bottles for 9 bucks. If they're not too cheesy in terms of quality, I'm, I'm with you on that because... Well, they're a little cheesy, but it's worth it. When we first started and the volumes were lower, you know, and we were trying to manage the cost, okay, fine. But now when you're making 1,000 bottles of wine in a year... It's a lot of work. And, you know... You're getting this wine, your total materials and production costs might be $4 or $5. Anyway, add a buck in for the bottles and be done with it. I mean, you'll be so far ahead. So that's where I'm coming down on the whole thing. But if you are interested in, in cleaning your bottles and recycling, as we have done, then you put them in the tub, you soak them, you scrape the label off, you take a sponge, you scrub it. Then you use this little device right here. I'll make some sound effects. It attaches to your laundry room tub, standard hose fitting, so you could also put this on a, on a hose, and it's a U-shaped piece of brass. And when you take a bottle, I'll demonstrate with this bottle, this is our Gran Coronas, which has no D in it, by the way, Gran, Gran, not Grand, Coronas from last time. And you take the bottle, you put it upside down on this brass pipe and you press down and it's got a valve trigger here that squirts water straight up into the upside down bottle washing everything out with a very high pressure spray that's the basic process of cleaning the bottle and then you sterilize it through two steps one we use something called be bright which is an oxygen based cleaner like an oxyclean but specifically for wine there's also something called Seabright which is a chlorine-based cleaner. I sort of like the idea of oxygen-based as opposed to chlorine-based. But you sterilize it with that, and then you do one final rinse with your potassium or maybe sodium. I like the potassium because there's going to be some residue left in there, the potassium metabisulfite. That's, and what, what percent solution is that? Still we're at 10%. Still 10%. Right. Correct. So 10%, just you can pour it in there in a funnel, shake it around, and pour it right into the next bottle. So you don't pour it out. You just pour it from bottle to bottle to bottle, give the bottle a shake so you're coating the whole inside, and then put it upside down on your bottle tree or other bottle dryer. That's the basic process of cleaning a bottle. So you're not rinsing that potassium metabisulfite solution back out of the bottle? No, you don't want to leave any excess in there. So you want the bottle completely upside down so even with the shoulder, it's going to drain all the way out. That's important. 
but you don't want to rinse that last bit of potassium metabisulfite out. That's that's good. And by the way, you can probably drop your final concentration by about five parts per million because you're going to rinse your bottles, unless you let the bottles totally dry. So if you let the bottles totally dry, then you probably want to be around 40, 45 parts per million. If you're going to just do a quick rinse and then bottle straight away, you can be five parts per million below that, maybe 35 to 40. That's the process of cleaning bottles. Now we get to the more fun part, and that is filling the bottles. Filling the bottles up with our nectar of the grape. Yes. Filling the bottles goes like this. Actually, maybe before we get to the filling the bottles, we should talk a little bit about bottle technology and where it came from. Oh, do you have another theory on this? This time, no, this time it's cold hard facts. At least, I don't know, does anybody really know anything from history? I got this out of the Wikipedia. The The Wikipedia. This is one of the most popular sites on the Internet. Wikipedia, W-I-K-I-pedia, is an encyclopedia that's online to which anybody can contribute. And there's a process so that it doesn't get filled with crap, and there's sort of an editorial approval of contributions. But Wikipedia is essentially the world's best encyclopedia because it's built by the people of the world. Peter, I've got to ask uh, for a clarification on your question. You were filling one bottle per 12 given. We totally lost that part of the podcast. We've moved way beyond it. So uh, do you want to uh, join me in the voice domain? And uh, Okay, he says don't worry about it. We we lost him like 20 minutes ago. Peter, have another sip of the sherry. It really he helps give, the show. He wants to give you 12 empty bottles and get a bottle of our silver metal wine. Ah, maybe that's what it was, yes. So I do give one full bottle of homemade wine for every 12 empty bottles. Emptied get, and delabeled or just emptied? You know, emptied and delabeled. I might give you six bottles of wine. <laughs> Take off the labels, get them clean. They're worth a lot more to me. Okay, so yes, you're right, Peter. We've been on about 12 tangents since back then, and we're on another tangent. Just welcome to the wine show. It's how it goes. I think we can listen to these podcasts later and just do more shows on cleaning up all the things we left sort of dangling from these shows. We're never going to run out of material. So now you have some history about bottles. I do. I wanted to go research the bottles. And, and frankly, we're not going to get to corking tonight. We're, we're 50, I love corking. I know. We're 54 minutes into it, but we're going to have to leave corking for the next show. So just full so that disclosure. Means we're not getting the labels either. No. Corking, labels, and drinking Another are show. all going to be next we'll show. We'll combine them in one show. This is really, you know, it's dragging on. I think it's your... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> if you would have a theory... Stop <laughs> interrupting me. We'd get this thing done. So the, the, the bottle actually came along in part because of wine. One of the very valuable uses of bottles was for storing wine. So now, one of the first uses of glass bottles was really for wine. Absolutely. Isn't that incredible? Now, before there were bottles, here was the process. There were barrels. There were barrels, and the wineries would sell the wine in barrels to merchants. So the merchants are buying it a, a barrel at a time. In sort, fact, of, sort of like beer at the time, too. Right? I think exactly. Now, beer you can still buy in barrels or kegs, as they call it, right? Sure. But wine evolved beyond that for a specific reason that we're going to get to. That For whatever reason, we don't have the same problem with, with, with beer. But even before there were barrels, 
there were something there, there there were these ceramic vases called amphora. Now I have a picture here of the amphora, and this only goes back to the 16th century. So Wait a minute, amphora isn't that a BMW? An amphora? Oh, is that bad? Oh, it's a V3. Amphora. Oh, that. You know, you are going to rue the day you said that. Please send all your hate mail. That was the other guy talking again. Please. Amphora. Amphora. A-M-P-H-O-R-A. In fact, it's a Latin term that derives from a Greek term, which is a combination of the word amphi, which means on both sides, and phoreus, which means carrier. And if you look at these things, they have handles on both sides to carry them. In fact, just to describe them a little bit, but we should really be on television with our show, shouldn't we? With all the visual aids that we have. These amphorae, as they're called, they, they look almost like flower vases at the bottom. And then at the top, they've got a long neck and two handles. And up until the 16th century, this is what they shipped wine in. But it's interesting because the bases are not large enough to hold them up. They must have sat in some sort of rack. Brilliant you are. In fact, well, thank you, sir. there were two purposes to it. At the bottom, you're right. You, you, your powers of observation, even after the better part of two bottles of red wine, are astounding. The bottom of these amphorae are pointed. And the reason they were pointed was so you could, on a sandy or dirt surface or floor, you could stick them into the floor and the sand would hold them up. Or you could create a shelf that had holes cut into it and you could set them into the shelf and the, mm-hmm. the, the, the point would go through the holes. Interesting. Yeah, and I guess it took another few centuries before they realized that a flat bottom might work pretty well and we evolved to that. I'm, I'm amazed, though, that it was the 16th century and they're still using ceramic faces. They haven't really moved to oak barrels. But it was around that time that the transition occurred. So now, these these precursed oak barrels. Yes, this is what. And these are still ceramic, though. These, these are, are ceramic. Okay. They, they almost look like clay, but it does say ceramic vase with two handles. Well, they're fired to some level or degree, right? Okay. Right, and and they were adopted basically by the ancient Greeks and Romans as the principal means for storing and transporting wine, as cool. well as a few other valuable commodities olives, oil, grain, fish, and, and a couple other things. And, and did and they use, mention what they sealed these with? Did they have cork at this point, do you know? Uh, they did not have cork, because we're going to get into the cork. The interesting thing is they sealed these vases and also the early glass that they had before cork with essentially oil-coated rags, which didn't provide a very good seal at all, so your wine didn't last very long. So what people started doing, if it wouldn't last very long in this vase or in glass, as it were at the time, the wineries started shipping wine to the merchants in barrels, and the merchant would tap one barrel at a time and sell specific quantities of wine into whatever kind of containers he or the customer had. There you go. That's how, and and this is like 16th, 17th, 18th century, still surprisingly primitive. Well, glass was, we have to remember that glass was extremely expensive in this time, correct? I mean, yeah. if you look at homes and castles, there's very little glass. Why? It was extremely expensive to produce. It was, as you alluded to, though, the cork that ultimate, ultimately made glass 
more feasible and more desirable. What was happening was merchants were buying wine, and who knows what they were doing to it in those barrels, right? It's down a little bit. Hey, it wouldn't be a bad idea to top that barrel off so it lasts you know, overnight or over the weekend, I'm closed. Okay, so now it's Until got 5%, <laughs> yeah, 5% water in it. Yeah, so th- there, were, there were a lot of, let's say, adulterations of wine at this time, and the quality of wine would vary greatly. If that barrel were open for a long time, a lot of air in it, you might get a bad wine by the time you're done. So glass came along, but there was no viable high-quality stopper. It was actually cork that changed wine storage from barrels into glass. And at this time, they started what was called chateau bottling, where instead of the wine being shipped to a merchant or vendor who put it into the final containers as it was being sold, wine was now put into bottles at the chateau or winery. they're, They're no longer filling up barrels and selling it to merchants who take it to their little village and then they pour it out of the barrel into whatever little cup they have. Now they're actually putting it into barrels because of cork. Now, who discovered cork? I have a theory. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give a little preview then of next show. I'm not going to answer your question, but I am dying to hear your theory. Leave them wanting more, right? Our listeners, leave them wanting more. Yeah, but let's hear your theory. Did you end up, did you talk about all your peeves, by the way? Did you get your peeves done this show? Are you done with your peeves? Oh, no, I've got a million of those. <laughs> I bet the you only, do. The only thing we, I have more of than you is peeves over theory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the passionate one is peevish. I'm going to leave our... The numbers guy is full of theories. I'm going to leave our listeners wanting more to find out. We're going to start the next cast podcast, Cork. We are going to start with Cork, and you're just going to hold your Cork theory until that... I'm going to Time. work it up and keep it until next podcast. I'm just going to turn a blind eye to your teaser there of our listeners. Oh, hold the phone. Hold the phone. <laughs> what? Alarm, alarm, idiom alarm. A blind. You're going to turn a blind eye. I... Please, for God's sake, tell me <laughs> that it came from some English tavern. <laughs> it was English. Or You're was right it on that Shakespeare? One. All right, so... Where does this one come from? I like this one because it goes back to a guy named Admiral Nelson. I mean, can you imagine a more admirable name? Admiral Nelson. I love it. Admiral Nelson is it. Okay. It is. And it, it comes from the Battle of Copenhagen, where the British fleet was being commanded by Admiral Sir Hyde Parker, battling the Danes. And the attack for the British, was led by the famous, the famous, infamous at this point, Admiral Nelson. Parker, Nelson who's on top of Nelson's circle, square? That very same that Nelson. Nelson. That's the Nelson. He's famous for a lot of reasons. But Parker, his commanding admiral, commanding officer, felt that Nelson's losses at this point in the battle were unacceptable. And This is against Copenhagen. Yes. Battle really at Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Are they trying to get beautiful blondes? I mean, why are they going? Why are they even? Why would? Who, what are they doing to the English? Why are they even fighting them? Must have had something to do with mermaids. I don't remember. I don't remember. But in any case, Nelson was not doing well at this point in the battle. His commanding officer felt that it was time to disengage, and they had a specific 
signal flag that they raise at that point in time. When informed from, from ship to ship, from ship to ship, okay. And when informed of the signal, this is back before radio or podcasting or any of that kind of stuff. Way back. When informed of the signal, Admiral Nelson held a telescope to his eye, his blind eye. He could only see out of one eye. He held the telescope to his blind eye and said, I see no ships or signals, disobeying the order and ultimately winning the war. He turned his blind eye. And that's where the saying comes from. That's where the saying comes from. The Brits have done it again. The Brits have have supplied us with more idioms than any other country to this point. They are amazing. If there's another country out there that has more idioms than the Brits, please contact us. We know it's not the French. They they did give us some some pretty good things, some pretty good wine, but not better idioms. Not better idioms. So anyway, now we've finally got good quality cork in glass. It can be bottled at the Chateau, and for the first time, wine will now last for a substantial period of time. Because if it was in a barrel and you start tapping the barrel, now you're exposing it to oxygen. It's not going to last very long. If you're stuffing your bottle with an oil-soaked rag, about the only thing that really worked was to put oil on top of the wine. That provided a pretty good integrity seal, but of course... You know, getting it out of there and getting <laughs> the wine was a little tricky. A bit of a challenge. So Hence Henry Straw. Who? Who invented the straw to get through <laughs> Henry Straw. The, the oil to the wine. Did you just pull that off the cuff? <laughs> I'll turn a blind eye a blind ear to that <laughs> comment. A deaf ear. Oh man. I, I, I don't know what to say. Let's try to finish up this podcast on bottles and be done with it. We'll get the corks and labeling and drinking next time. I this agree, is one of my favorite pieces of equipment. It looks so simple. It's it very simple. It costs about $3. It's a plastic tube, but its real value is in the bottom of the plastic tube. It has a little valve, and the little valve opens when you press the tube down on the bottom of a bottle or table. And when you lift it up, it closes. Here's how the bottling goes. You've now done all of your work to clean your bottles. Hopefully, when you last racked your, your barrels or carboys, you left them three or four feet off the ground, so you can now use gravity to drain them. Aha, uh-huh, to fill the bottles. A key point. We're talking wanna... about filling bottles. We even have talked about how to fill the bottle. Right. We're getting to the We're going to use siphoning to basics. fill the bottle. Exactly. You're going to put... A tube into the wine, into, into your, your barrel. Or, or barrel. You're going to use your auto siphon to get the flow started. There you and go. And you're going to put this nice little doohickey at the other end of your tube so that you can stick it down into a bottle like this. The wine fills up from the bottom, which is very important. You don't want to just pour the wine in from the top of the bottle because you're, you're over-oxygenating uh-huh. it if you do that. So now, with this thing... It's going down to the bottom and filling from the bottom, pushing the oxygen out, but not overly oxygenating the wine. And the coolest part about this, you watch the wine fill right up to the top of the bottle, and then you, as soon as you lift this tube off the bottom, it stops filling, and as you pull it out, the volume of the tube itself coming out of the bottle clears enough room in the bottle for your cork. 
It's a great system. That is ingenious. So you get a perfect fill on your bottle. Of course, you might slightly overfill it or pull the tube out slightly too early. I don't think that really matters. With this thing, it is so easy to fill a bottle. Now you've got your bottle filled up to the right height, enough room for the cork, and on you go to corking. So let's summarize. For filling, you don't need pumps. No pumps. Pumps you, are. I think pumps are possibly overkill. If anything, I think they are. You want to pull the wine out of the barrel so gently and so slowly because you don't want to stir up you any sediment don't, or. And you don't want to bruise that delicate nectar. Exactly. So we're, you, we're using gravity from the barrel. Keep or your carboy elevated with a hose. With this incredible. Is there a term for this? ingenious glass tube with this little float valve on the bottom pressure valve for filling bottles. I call it the float valve on the bottom pressure valve for filling bottles. Clever as you are, that is ingenious, and you use this to fill your bottles. I and, think and, we fill, and we fill, realistically now, last year we filled 800 bottles? I, I, it's about 800. Literally as fast as we could physically move the bottles into position to empty them, and, and filling 800 bottles, which was what, 100 gallons? Uh, a little more than that, actually. In how much time? An hour and a half? I think it was a bit more than that. We did Remember, we did it on two different nights. Okay, it was three weeks. But my <laughs> point is, you can it's do it pretty weeks. darn fast with it. no pumps, no, and it really is pretty clean. You drip almost nothing. It's, a, it's an ingenious device. I yeah, love it, if, too. If you're looking for this thing on the Internet or at your favorite wine supply store, call it a bottle filler, bottle filler tube, and keep the price well, you think we under $5. Thing. <laughs> yeah, it is one of my favorite pieces it of wine-making cool. equipment. This very is simple just and very effective. Unbelievable. So I think you did a good job of summarizing there on bottle filling. We've made it, well, we didn't quite make it through the home stretch. Next time we're going to be back with, we're going to talk corking. And we're going to talk labeling. And I'm going to bring back my corks because there is so much interesting in terms of cork quality to talk about. Well, on that note, let's put a cork in it. I think it's time to call it a night. Now, remember, you can join us by coming to www.talkshoe.com, sign in, search for cellar dwellers, or look in the featured TalkCast section. So your systems are all in place for folks to sign in on TalkShoe.com now, right? Come and sign up. It's sign up and it's check out, out there. the whole menu. It's in the public, and you can, once you sign up, you'll see when our next episode is. Of course, you can su- subscribe to all of the past episodes. But more interesting than anything is you can send us chat comments while we're doing the show as Adam and Catherine and Peter have done tonight. They can email the other guy? They can email the other guy. Yes, we've got the other guy at TalkShoe.com. I love to hear the emails. Cellardwellers at TalkShoe.com. That'll get, get you to us as well. But you can also talk to us on the air if you like to. If you uh, really want to uh, debate something with us, we're, we're game. So TalkShoe.com, www.TalkShoe.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you as part of the show. Awesome. Now, what was our sign-off? Peter, I think he had it here. i got to zoom back in the text and see what it was. It had something to do with we sound better when you're drunk or something like that. <laughs>
<laughs> I know. The more you drink, the better we sound. There you That's go. That's what it is. All right, I think that closes the show. Elvis has left the building. Cheers. And that's an idiom you're going to have to wait for next week to know where it came from. Thanks, everybody. This is the Cellar Dwellers, Dave Nelson and the other guy, signing off. Signing off. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.